You're listening to the Solo to CEO podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Solo to CEO podcast, where we provide a mix of powerful, thought-provoking, and practical information to assist you in your transformation from solo to CEO of a high-impact, high-revenue-generating business. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here with Heather Keith, attorney and CEO of Keith Family Law. Keith Family Law provides divorce litigation, mediation, and collaborative divorce services for clients throughout New Jersey. Welcome, Heather. I'm so pleased you're here today on the Solo to CEO podcast. Hi there, Davina. I'm pleased to be here. I'm delighted. So I, um, I said that you provide divorce litigation, mediation, and collaborative divorce services uh, for clients throughout New Jersey. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about that, what specifically that means, and um, more about your firm and how you serve your clients? Sure. So uh, I'm a family law firm here in New Jersey, and uh, we do uh, litigation, of course, means in court. For those who don't know what litigation means, we found that some people don't know it, really what that means or appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We also do um, alternative dispute resolution, which is a family of out-of-court methods of settling uh, family law disputes and divorces, including mediation and mediation support. So sometimes I will serve as a mediator and sometimes I will be the review attorney or the supporting attorney in a mediation setting. Um, but my favorite way to solve cases, <laughs> almost like a criminal case, right? To solve a divorce case is through the collaborative process. So that is where um, the collaboratively trained attorneys work with each other and with the clients, oftentimes with mental health neutrals and financial neutrals to row in the same direction, to transition a family from uh, being an intact family to being a family of two separate households, oftentimes with children. Right. So, so tell me, how did you get? Tell me, how did you get started and interested in practicing law to begin with? How long have you been practicing? I've been practicing for about uh, twelve years now. Um, I graduated from uh, from law school in '07. Oh, so you and I graduated from law school the same year. Mm, okay. Oh, great seven. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great year. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and did you open your firm uh, right right out of law school, or did you? What did you do before that? Oh dear, no. Uh, after I passed, well, I didn't pass the bar exam, but the first thing I did was after graduation, of course, was study for the bar exam and take that. Then I did a clerkship um, at the New Jersey Superior Court. Uh, my judge was half of her term was in civil in the civil part and half of her term was in the family part. And the second half of her term is when I started looking for my job. Um, then from there, I uh, went into a boutique family law firm in uh, sort of northern New Jersey where I was where I practiced exclusively family law for for a handful of years. Was that something that you all that you had in mind that you wanted to do from the beginning was practice family law or was that or did you, you know, I always find it interesting when I um, talk to the attorneys um, mm-hmm. to find out if they wound up practicing because, you know, they interned and 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 their sort of their career led them to a practice area or if they started out with a practice area in mind. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I was published in my in the the, the Circuit Review uh, Law Journal on, on a topic that's completely not related to family law. It was in fact in environmental law. At the time that I was in law school, I had no idea where I was going to come out the other side. I just knew that um, my motivation was in helping people solve their problems um, mm-hmm. in a way that people seem to not be able 
um, you know, some people are frightened to go to court or I had been to court several times on my own, you know, traffic court, this and that. And it, it didn't really phase me too much. And I thought to myself, well, if I have this ability, then why would I not share that with other people? And so I took the LSAT and I got into law school. And so this was later in life, by the way. I was in my 30s by the time I got into law school. When I was there, I had no idea what to expect or, uh, you know, where to go from here. You know, I did not grow up in New Jersey. Um, I don't have any legal, uh, you know, experience in my family. I'm the first one who went on to, you know, higher education. Um, so it just by a series of circumstances, um, I ended up into family law. The thing that I think that really sealed the deal for me was, um, you know, you always have something in the back of your mind that sticks with you, maybe a, a formative experience um, or something that really drives you. And for me, you know, my parents were divorced and I was 12 and mm -hmm. uh, it, it was it, that really had a, a big impact on me. And they did the very best that they could. And they did some I mean, this is early on in the 80s and not too many people, at least where I was living, were um, were getting divorced. And it just made a very big impact on me. I watched my parents, you know, ind independently struggle with, you know, the, the separation and, um, you know, the remarriages and so forth. Um, it just really stuck with me. And I thought, well. If this is something that I can do to make future people's experiences better, uh, more healthy, if I can pass on some of the things that my parents were, were able to do and help people avoid some of the things that my parents really were not um, necessarily able to avoid, and also to keep children right in the in the forefront of the experience, because clearly this isn't anything that the children asked for to begin with. I'm talking about divorce, and mm -hmm. I thought, well, if there's some way that I can can really uh, lend my experiences and, and make this into a, a better experience for people, then, then that's really what I would like to do at this point. So when, it, when it came, some opportunities came up in family law, you know, I was accepted into uh, the clinic where at my law school, the family law clinic, and I appeared before a judge as a student, and that really had an impact on me. I thought, well, geez, that was successful. <laughs> so <laughs> let's see how let's see how we can really play this out. So I, I really didn't have too much of a fear of being in the courtroom. But but there was something sort of in the back of my mind that there was more, there's more to it than going than than appearing in, appearing in court is an important thing to be able to do. But but in the bigger picture, my my real concern was was helping families get from point A to point B without scorching the earth, without harming relationships, teaching people to communicate with each other once once again, and, and maybe restoring just a little bit of trust so that they can move forward in their future lives. Because these, these are families who will have to, they'll be at graduations, they're going to be at birthday parties, they're going to be at, at weddings and, and family, you know, big family events in the future. And would they like to be able to do this in an, in an intact way and, a, and as healthy as way as possible? That was really my goal. It wasn't really for me about law, law, law. It was really more about problem solving for me. That's what, what drew me into family law, and that's what keeps me in family law. And that the things that I see are really are really rewarding. And, and that led you that led you then to collaborative law, correct? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, about how long did you how long did you practice before you sort of discovered and mm -hmm and immerse yourself in, in the collaborative law model. Right. So I had been practicing, we'll say, traditional um, family law slash litigation for about three and a half years, um, long enough to sort of look around. And, you know, I was involved in bar events and ends of court and so forth. And, and it, was, it was just really um, a good amount of time for me to see what's possible using that method. 
but it's also possible to see some of the destruction that can happen using that method. And there isn't anybody in the world, no matter how well-intentioned they are, who can sit in a black robe and make a decision for your family that's any better than you could make for your own family. If you could simply set aside some of the emotional um, things and and have have maybe somebody help you focus on the things that are truly important. So yes, when, when the collaborative thing came up for me, it really wasn't an option where I was practicing at the time. So uh, if I if I wanted to be involved in collaborative um, practice or me- heavily into mediation and so forth, um, all these alternative dispute resolution models, I was not going to be able to do that where I where I found myself. So that's one of the things that really motivated me to, when I did go out on my own, I thought, well, now this is something I really have to look into because it's, it's really speaking to me here. And I think this is really worth looking into. And that's why I did that. So tell me about going out on your own. What what <laughs> factored into that? When did you do this and what factored into that decision? <laughs> well, um, going out on my own was almost an accident. Um, I, I left the environment where I had been practicing. Um, I just had so many questions in my mind that I just really wanted to answer. And I wasn't really even sure if I was going to practice at all. But then I thought to myself, well, geez, you know, you were so hard to get into law school and you were so hard while you were there and you really were very successful and really enjoyed some academic success. And you came out and you were very well supported by people who were helping you in your career. Are you really going to throw that over your shoulder? Um, to do uh, some sort of uh, undefined thing in the future. And I said to myself, no, I really can't do that. Um, I I, I have so many questions, and I just really want to answer those questions. And so um, I took a few weeks off after I I left my first situation. Um, And then, uh, you know, (laughs) the funny story is that I I don't know if I really would have open my own firm, but for the fact that um, to get malpractice insurance, you have to fill out this 12-page application and asks, it, pr- it essentially provides a roadmap for how to open your firm. So do you have an IOLTA trust account? Do you have a business account? Oh, dear, no, I better go down to the bank and open one. Okay, got that. Okay, do you have, do you want to register under your social security number? No, I sure don't. So I better get a tax ID number. Well, what are you going to call yourself? Oh, well, um, let's see, uh, Keith Law Firm is, that sounds broad. Okay, let's think big, you know. Okay, now I'm going to need a website. And before you knew it, <laughs> before I knew it, I had everything put together and I just, I printed up some business cards and off I went, you know, and, and what I found was that the people who had, who had been watching me while I was, um, you know, first out practicing supported me unconditionally. Oh, we're so, we're so proud of you. You're really out on your, you're really doing it. Oh, and I heard all kinds of stories. Well, this is how I started. And oh, you're in the building that I started. Oh, this is great. Here, let me throw you some clients. And do you want to do these different areas of law? And at first it wasn't about family. I was doing a variety of different things, but quickly it really narrowed back down to the family um, arena. And that's, that's, I, I didn't, I couldn't stay home because you don't really want family law people necessarily coming to your house. So even just to get out in the world, I, I just I rented a room in one of those sort of um, you know executive suite kind of places. Um, and so I would have a place to receive all of my, the, you know, the things that you receive when you're an attorney. And I just went, you know, I went to bar functions and I just kind of put it out there and I just started passing out cards and one thing led to another and I got a client and then I got another client and I got a few more <laughs> clients. And before you knew it, I was like, wow, this is, this is, I feel like this might fly. <laughs> this is really crazy. This might and, actually work. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, this could work. This could work. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. You you said that you weren't. You said at one point you weren't even sure you were going to 
practice at all. Mm-hmm. Was that, were you thinking, you know, because you went to, I'm assuming you went to law school with the intention of practicing and becoming a lawyer. And I, and I asked this because, um, uh, because I can relate to this because I have, you know, I had these right. The nature of what I do now is different. I don't practice law day to day. I am still a, an active attorney, but I do not practice law day to day. And so I'm curious, you have this moment where you thought, Hmm, you know, I've put all this work into this, but I might not actually practice law. Well, remember, this is the, I'm halfway through my life at this point. I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm creeping up on 40 years old. And I had done several things in the past before I even went to law school. Mm-hmm. So my mind was a little bit, a, a little bit open on that, in that regard. Um, so in other words, I hadn't come straight from undergraduate and then straight to law school. And it was basically all I knew. And I felt like I didn't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. When I came out, I thought, well, you know, geez, uh, I, I I do have other choices. I, I you know at the at the point I was really um, I had overworked myself, and I really wasn't in a great emotional place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's one of the things that led me to have that thought that I that I I, fe- I felt disconnected. So I felt like maybe uh, you know oh that you know no matter how hard I had worked, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I'm I'm just I'm going to do something different now. Right. Um, so I had other options because obviously you had had other, yeah. you had other, I, I understand you are an accomplished musician. Yeah. <laughs> so, other right. yeah. I graduated from Oberlin uh, college and I was originally admitted to the conservatory. And uh, so I, as a voice, voice major. So I, um, I sing and I, um, my, one of my original dreams was to become a choral conductor. So it's something that's really never left me. Um, I don't know if that's really something that you can truly do as a, as a profession without really throwing yourself into it. So, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but I do have music in my life all the time. It's it's very important to me. I still perform. Um, I still sing. I, I have a group. I have a magical group that I perform with. And it, it's, it's always part of keeping me balanced. So have you ever wondered how uh, and this is kind of an off the wall question, but have you ever wondered how music um, informs your life as a lawyer and as a mm-hmm. business owner in your your day to day life? Yeah, great question. So a couple of things. Music and math are closely related, and I find that um, having be, I'm a practicing like a classical musician, so I read music, and a lot of that has there, so there's a lot of logic that goes into the type of music that I do, and then in addition to that, if something you're performing, you're performing, so it, it's in real time, it's in real time and real life, real things happening. You you are maybe on a stage or before a group of people. And if something goes wrong, then you better know what to do right away in that moment, which is strikingly similar to arguing emotion. You have the roadmap and you have a general idea of what's going to happen. But if something else does happen, then you need to be able to improvise. Um, so it's a very experiential thing. Music is, it's in, it's in real time. And I find that performing law can be very similar when you're on trial, when you're arguing emotion, when you're, even when you're doing a deposition, it's, it's a very experiential thing. It's something that you're doing in the moment. Um, you, you prepare for it, but at that moment you're performing. So they're very similar. They're very similar. Right. Right. Cause I always think that, Whatever we uh, like you, I my I had a 
I did not graduate from law school till I was, uh, I went in my late thirties to law school. So it was a second mm-hmm. career for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I always think we carry with us whatever it is that we, you know, obviously whatever it is that we've learned, the skills we've learned before and whatever we did in life before we carry through with us mm-hmm. to the other things we do in our lives. And yeah. it's always interesting to see how we weave together yeah. this life and career and how it works to our advantage, um, you know, over yeah. time and helps us to create the people that we become and how it shapes our, our business. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, your, with your, your business, you now, I want to talk about your business and your solo to CEO journey because your business now has grown. You have, uh, uh, you have what, one other attorney working with you now or? Yep. I I have an attorney. I have an office administrator. I have a receptionist person. I have a, a, a paralegal and, uh, and a marketing specialist as well. So I have a lot of people now. So what was that like for you making that when you kind of had that moment where you made that sort of um, transition from solo to, do you know the moment when you kind of felt like, okay, I really shifted from being uh, what we call a true solo, (laughs) that Uh feeling to being, oh my goodness, I actually have a firm here. I actually have you know, a business that is separate from me, a business entity that is separate from me and a lot of people relying on this business. Mm -hmm. Do do you know that moment? Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, the, the, the feeling it's kind of like jumping off of a cliff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's exhilarating. It's, it is a scary for sure. Um, but in the same way that it would be scary if you were skydiving, because, you know, nobody's going to die. So we know that. So, um, but it was a huge transition to pull, uh, to pull myself out of the practice and make a business out of it was one of the, that was one of the most Herculean things I think I've probably ever done. Um, it was very frightening because I thought that, well, if, 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 if this business is not me, then first of all, like, who am I? <laughs> what, does, what does that mean for me? Am I, am I yeah. not, am I worthless? Am I, am I replaceable? What am I? So you come to terms with that. And then, but then it, that quickly gave way to the fun Right of setting up a business where, um, where that will run without me. Um, at first, that was a very threatening thing, and now I, I'm. It didn't take long for me to figure out, like, well, hey, if this place can run without me for a certain period of time, I I could go home for a week to see my mother. <laughs> I could I could go on vacation. I can you know I can pick up my son from daycare without worrying about it. Um, the rewards oh, came, came right yeah. away. Yeah, it, the rewards came right away. But yes, there is a huge responsibility, and it was terrifying. That was the the scary part about it. Um, I have to say, if I can put my finger on it, would be payroll in a word. So like you say, there are people depending now um, on me and I'm making a promise to them um, in some ways um, to the best of my ability. Like it, it took a little while, it took a while to get used to the idea of people hanging their futures and their, and their livelihoods on your, my business venture. Um, so that was, it was kind of a, that was, that was just kind of a, a scary moment, but 
um, when you see it succeed and actually fly, you can't you can't believe it. <laughs> it's just it's just so bizarre. <laughs> it's just so weird. But so um, adult. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I never I never really considered. Well, that's another thing that that I never really considered. Um, what was creating a business out of my practice because I had been practicing right for so long. I've been pra- practicing on being a lawyer, practicing at, at expanding my 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 um, my practice areas in the, in the various family law areas and you know the guardianships and the, and the simple wills and the other things that we do. Um, and to and to extricate my myself from that and to create a container through which my business will work was it was it's a very different model and i have to say I, I can see it now but i didn't see it coming at the time so i felt as though i was almost breaking something by going from a true solo because i'm the one who knows where the printer is i'm the one who knows you know where all the stamps are i'm the one you know i'm i'm the one who has all this knowledge and externalizing all that knowledge first of all into multiple people was a very strange experience but when it was done and when we got, you know, and I'll just say a word about systems, 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 systems. This is the key to any success, I think, of probably any business, but particularly um, in, a, in a law firm, um, we have systems for everything. We write them down on, on sheets of paper. We call them flow sheets. So, so we write down what we do, every little thing, everything from how do you receive a payment to, you know, how do you book, how do you book somebody for a consult? Every, everything is, is systematized so that um, we can move people around. So I promoted, right, my my reception person who is trained in paralegal studies, and I actually was able to promote her to a paralegal position and bring in a new um, receptionist person without without rocking the boat because it was all it had already been written down and systematized. And so the the new person was able to step in, and more importantly, this person was able to step out of that role and into a new role. Um, without without bringing down you know without without bringing down the house, and that was really a great experience as well. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun setting up a business. It's, oh yeah, it's, yeah oh yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And that's again probably something that you didn't anticipate when you were uh, you're thinking I'm going to be a lawyer. You probably weren't thinking in terms of. And even when you like you said you were just you 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 sort of are an accidental business. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. I've been really thinking about um, the challenge of m- morphing into a CEO yeah. Yeah. and yeah. what that has brought into your life. Well, uh, it's a completely, it's a completely new role. It's a completely different role, and I, I, I really, I love it. I, I love being in business. I like, I like working in the business as well. I like serving clients. I like doing intakes and consults and things like that, and and you know, preparing for motion hearings and so forth. But I, I really am enjoying ha- running. You know, being the C, like you say, going from the transition from being the true solo to a CEO. I didn't see that coming at all. And now that I'm here, it's, it's an, it's been an amazing journey and it's just going up from here. It's, it's very cool. It's very cool. Right. Right. So what, what advice would you have um, now that you're, you know, 10, 12 years down the road, what would you, what advice would you have for um, those who are on the solo to CEO journey behind you? Some of the things that looking back on your experience that you maybe would have done differently or or that you would have done the same, but, you know, you know, you want to throw up a flag 
morning <laughs> or, or some of the best experiences you've had that you want to share? Well, uh, yeah, right. So um, I guess what I would say is that whatever doubts you're having, don't, don't have those doubts. They, they're not productive. Um, so uh, the, the only regrets that I've got at this point, um, and regret is a strong word really, um, would be I didn't start earlier. I, I should have... Um, I should have done my systems earlier. I should have um, I should have thought about marketing earlier. And when I say marketing, for me, um, there was there was a big period of growth for me in even marketing at all. Marketing at all, like as as a proposition, was not okay for me psychologically. So I although it was not hard for me to ask for help as a solo because obviously look at me, I need help. You know, <laughs> I'm just starting out. Like, you know, everything, I know nothing. And then when you make the transition into the CEO part of it, something in me was afraid to go to that next level, like asking for clients, um, asking for money, um, increasing my rates, um, value, valuing my work um, enough to um, take consistent retainers, refresh those retainers, um, sever client relationships when they when they go bad because they do um not all of them obviously but some of them do choosing the correct choosing the right clients to fill your house with is so so important there you will never regret the client that you did not take and you will you will cherish the clients that you that you do take but on good terms so if you do, that was one really important lesson that I lesson that I learned fairly early on is that if there's a client who is not a good fit for you and in, in the way that you want to practice for for whatever reason if you can say no to that client you are not saying no to business what you are saying no to is that experience meaning now you have the ability to take in a better experience so, for example, the, the, the client that's not a great match for you, like maybe this, this case really has legs and both of the parties are completely you know, unreasonable and they, they can't really pay your, your fees or, or, or they're abusing your staff or whatever. Those cases will take over and, and really um, they'll take over your practice, especially when you're first start, you know, starting out. Um, in, in a firm, like if you don't have like 10 or 12 attorneys, like the, these are the cases that will really um, – um, wreak havoc on your your home. This is your home, really, your business. You spend so much time on it, you, you rely on it, and you want it to be healthy. So one thing that I learned that was really important is say say don't be afraid to say no to a client, um, even if you feel like you need the money, because what it really does is it really opens your schedule, opens your resources for you to be able to say yes to the client that you actually want who may be reasonable and who can pay their bills and who, you know, are going to work well with you and not abuse your staff and imagine how that would be. So I would say never take a client from a place of fear. That would be, that would be a, a big uh, piece of advice that I would give to people. And then in terms of marketing, just, you know, if you have to just, you know, plug your nose and jump in, <laughs> you got to do it. It just, it has to be done. Um, you know, the videos and the, and the copy, and if you can't do it and there's, that's not a value judgment at all. Cause I can't, I mean, I, I'm trained as a lawyer now. I mean, I'm, I'm wrecked for marketing. So I hired somebody else because my writing now is so technical that I was having problems, um, voicing what I wanted to communicate to my ideal potential new client. So I found an outside source who specializes in that marketing language, and then I trusted that person. 
I said, look, you know, don't, please don't let me line edit you to death. <laughs> You're going to use your own language, I swear. Like, just please don't listen to me when I try to correct you. So it, letting, letting that go, letting go, delegating, huge. If you can learn to delegate, you are so golden. You find people that you trust and delegate the things that you don't need to be doing. You do not need to do it all. And in fact, if you try, you will burn out quicker than anything else and your family won't see you for dinner and you'll you'll get very discouraged over time. So yeah, those are just some of the things. It's it's one of the things that uh, with my clients, I, I actually say it's, uh, it's hubris to think that you're, we're actually the best person for every job out there. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's really ridiculous when you think that, I mean, you know, like yeah. uh, one of the things that we attorneys do is we think, mm-hmm. well, if I just had enough time, I could do everything. <laughs> I could do every single job there is. <laughs> and I could do it really well too. Yeah. I am really the best person for every job out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, how silly is that, right? Like yeah. if it, bookkeeping, no way. No way yeah. am I the best person to keep my oh, book. Yeah. Oh yeah, but the yeah. struggle is real. I mean, attorneys are notorious control freaks and I'm among them. I didn't, I didn't realize that until I started doing my own thing and I had to let go of some things. As a solo, it was no biggie because you are the show, right? But once you start growing, like it's that letting go. You have to practice that over and over and over again because the, 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 the struggle is real to just reel it all back in and say, no, 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 no. Let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. I can do this better. I can do it faster. I can do it. Whatever. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Let somebody do it for you. Let somebody do it. That's how you build a strong team and then appreciate them for it. Then you build a strong team and then you can go on vacation. You know, that's, there's a lot between here and there, but, but yeah, absolutely. Appreciate your teams and hire great rock star people. And if people are not working for you, Kesara sera and find the next rock star. Yep. Yeah. Find the next rock star. You have to surround yourself with rock stars, period. Do you have any hiring secrets? Well, um, what I think is my um, best um, best advice on that is is the ask itself. So it's it's the ad, right? So um, I guess you can find people from word of mouth, and that's okay. But but what I really want to do is I want to put an ad out there, and the ad is gonna. I don't pay for my ads. I I do them if I can say this on on a, a free platform. A, uh-huh. a very fam- a very famous free platform anyway so um but it's the it's the content you you have to you have to market yourself right you have to market that experience that you expect that person to have to the person that you want in a way that is going to resonate with them and cause them to send you the resume and i know that seems seems like kind of you know sort of far out but it's the same thing as finding a client you need to imagine who who are you looking for? What what do they look like? Where do they live? What do they like? What do they value? Do they want to make money? If they want to make money, then you're going to incentivize them by bonuses. If they want to just you know serve people, then you're going to give them maybe you give them a different kind of client when they get here. But what is it that you're looking for? Whether it's a, a lawyer or whether it's an administrative person, you have to have it solid in your mind. What is it that you're looking for? What are the attributes of this person? And if this person were in the room with you and you wanted them to come over and eat lunch with you, what would you say to them? What, what is it that would resonate with them? What are they looking for? What, what you have to, because they're going to be looking for something to change that's better than where they are right now. So then you, your advertisement um, needs to speak to them 
directly and emotionally. And the advertisement should set itself apart from other ads because you see them all the time. Yeah, we're looking for an experienced family law attorney, five to eight years, commensurate with, you know, salary commensurate with experience, da 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 Well, that's not very compelling. <laughs> right. Here's something that's compelling is, boy, do I have, hey, are you feeling abused by your boss? Hey, are you feeling ignored by the partner? Hey, do you feel like you're locked in a cubicle and you never get to court, but you feel, you know, you're a litigation rock star and you just haven't had a chance to prove yourself? Well, then, boy, do we have an opportunity for you. Come on over to here and, and then describe what you have. But but the first step to that is knowing what it, knowing in your in your sort of heart of hearts what what exactly who you're talking to who is it that you're trying to attract. So that's that's how, that's my sort of hiring tip. And then you got to interview them, of course. Um, I I had one where I actually did um, an assessment as well. Um, there there are certain assessment tests out there that you can get that you can give. And this is kind of a scary thing as an employer to say, oh yeah, I'm going to have you take an assessment. Um, as a condition of uh, me considering you as a candidate, but at the end of the day, it gave me a, it gave me a, it gave a richer understanding of this candidate whether whether at the end of the day we thought this candidate would be successful or not, and this candidate who ultimately was not successful, we knew exactly why that person was not successful, and we're not surprised at, at the, the 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 timing and the reasons that the person ultimately didn't stay at the firm. So yeah, those those are just a couple of tips that I can think of. Yeah, that's an those, that's an excellent advice, and uh, I love the idea with the ad and and making it unique and uh, and really selling it. I used to uh, in in another life I worked uh, with I worked for a large law firm in in marketing, and uh, the their strategy when it came to recruiting associates mm-hmm. was to they would do I had a summer clerk program. And they, their strategy was to make these candidates just fall in love with them over the summer. And so they all just, all these summer clerks just love them and they couldn't wait. They want, they so badly wanted to work with this firm. And they said, that's our plan is we want all of them to fall in love with us so that we have our pick then of which one that we want, which one we want. And so that's, what you, that's what you want to do with your ad, with your, you know, you want them to, you want them to want you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Your pick, right, of yep. what you, and so that's your your ad strategy is to mm-hmm. to make that you know so so they're salivating to come work with you. Yeah, yep. It's like, buy, it's like a buy. It's like a buy candidates yeah. that you get to pick from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the personality, uh, the the you know that using those disc profiles or Colby or whatever it is that you choose. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to see if they're going to be a good fit for your team and for the type of job that you're looking yep, for. Truly, you know? truly. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, where this has been great. This has been great uh, <laughs> interview with lots of good information. Where can we find out more about uh, Keith Family Law? Well, the easiest place is to point your browser, right, to uh, KeithFamilyLaw.com. Um, that's where we, that's where our online presence is in terms of a website. And of course we're on social media, so you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, I think there's a Twitter thing out there. Uh, my marketing person is all in charge of that. So <laughs> I trust that it's all going and you can sign, you can reach out to us and sign up for our newsletter too. So if you wanted to go to the website and just, you know, send us, there's a form, you know, there's a quick form in there. You just want to give us your email. Um, and we'll, we'll put you on the mailing list for the email newsletter. 
Great. Any final thoughts that you want to leave us with today or share uh, about? Sure. I would just encourage anyone, if it's in your mind, to go from, first of all, anyone out there who's doing it, so, doing it solo, congratulations. You have my total props. That's, that's the bravest thing in the world to do. And then the next step after that is, if it's in your mind to grow, do it. If it's in your mind to grow, it's essentially it's in the universe already. You, you have the ability to go out there and do your thing, and you will make the, be- the world a better place for having done that. That's my, that's my final thought. That's a wonderful final thought, and I appreciate you <laughs> sharing with us. So thanks so much, Heather, for being here. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Oh, me too. It was wonderful. The Solo to CEO podcast is sponsored by D. Frederick Media and Marketing and the Solo to CEO system. We help professional women entrepreneurs transform from solos to CEOs of high-impact, high-revenue-generating businesses while reclaiming their time and creating the lifestyle of their dreams. If you are ready to skyrocket your revenue, cultivate a crackerjack team, and set up systems and automation to get your firm running like a well-oiled machine so you can focus on the highest and best use of your time, then you'll want to attend our latest presentation, Six Shifts to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at law.solotoceo.biz webinar.